sinners, choosers, lovers, dreamers, hypocrites, cynical bastards, and anyone who can say where the road goes and where the day flows, welcome to Choose Your Own Religion. My name is Joe. Thank you guys for tuning in this week. Another great episode for you. Uh, just, uh, just a real quick, uh, give a huge thank you to everyone uh, for all the support you showed me last week. Uh, I talked a lot about BDSM last week. It was a little abnormal of an episode because normally here uh, on this show, uh, it's just me and a guest talking about our religious background, baggage if we have any, uh, and then we make up a new religion each week. Uh, last week was a little bit different. I was really, I still feel weird about uh, quote unquote coming out as a dom and BDSM. Like, what does that even mean? Does anybody even care? Is it really comparable to any kind of coming out? I don't know. Is it a little bit self-important? These are the types of questions I'm asking myself. I'm just, I feel a duty to be honest and just talk about my experience and uh, try not to take it too seriously. So uh, thank you for those who helped me not take it too seriously. And thank you so much uh, to those who reached out. Let me know that it really uh, mattered. Uh, Those emails and messages are really one of the coolest things uh, I've experienced so far in doing this podcast. And uh, anybody feel free to reach out to me at joe at joequint.com. .net. As far as the the sex stuff goes, yeah, I, I want to continue talking more and more about sex on this podcast. I don't know if I really want to be a like a BDSM comic. I don't know if that's really a route I want to go, be known as, uh, but we'll see. I'm just going to talk about whatever comes naturally, and uh, that's exactly how it went this week with my guest, Stuart Thompson, who is a great comedian. If you're in Los Angeles, he hosts a monthly show called The Late Night Show at the Hollywood Improv Lab. Next one is Thursday, October 27th. If you're in LA, you want to check that out. And a big thank you to Stuart for coming out and uh, having just a really good, thoughtful, thought-provoking, lovely conversation. So uh, thank you, Stuart. Go to stuartthompsoncomedy.com to find out his dates and more info on him. So, that's it, y'all. Thanks again. We're coming up on a year of doing this podcast, and it's been such a great year because of you guys, so thank you so much. I really am truly deeply indebted, so thank you. If you like this show, you can find me on Stitcher, iTunes, chooseyourownreligion.com, the Facebook page. Y'all know this shit. Uh, More exciting things coming down the pipeline. For now, please surrender to the flow and welcome Stuart Thompson. Allow the soothing music and uplifting affirmations to center your heart and mind in an awareness of God's love. Wake up, my dear sinners. Wake up from your deep rest. Won't you say your prayers and know that you are blessed? I love you, oh, but Jesus loves you the best, and I hope that you choose your own religion. All right, I'm going to start recording. Yeah, yeah okay. Right. Um, yeah, just right before this, you were just talking about <laughs> eggs in one basket. That's something, yeah, I had the same deal with... Uh, putting all my eggs in one basket or at least mentally, if not in actuality. So, uh, that's when I started branching out more. I mean, I do improv still a little bit for fun, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like just getting more into writing and sure podcasting things like that. Yeah. It's, I think it's very important to not be stuck in one thing. I mean, it's good. It's great if you're good at one thing because we all got to be good at something, but 
if you if you make that your whole world and something falls apart then you know it's that's very scary right well in some you know i think i wanted to, there to be just like oh there's like a right path there's like a right way of doing it and that means like throwing yourself completely into the, the 10,000 hour thing is mm-hmm. always bandied about sure uh, the malcolm gladwell 10,000 hour to become an expert in something but um i don't know i think that 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 can work for like there's some we all know geniuses and like uber talented people that are just so naturally good at it you're like no you should focus on just that one thing yeah sure and i've also seen geniuses who are could not be motivated to get out of bed exactly yeah so i i don't know i i think you just got to figure out what works right for you and that's and that is something that i don't think is harped on enough is sure you you can work on something and really put together uh, you know, a body of work that's exciting and new and, uh, you know, pushes the boundaries of what, of our, of thought. But I think you should also, I think everyone should live, try to live a balanced existence mm, among, yeah. among other things. Cause I, I've, I've put my, my eggs into one basket before and it made me go, go crazy. That was what, yeah, that's what got me to do comedies. Cause I thought, <laughs> cause I put all my eggs in the basket of becoming a financial advisor. Really? In college, oh, I yeah. think you did tell me that a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I had like a, I had a quarter life crisis at nineteen. <laughs> I, I was. You like, do seem like somebody who would have a quarter life crisis at nineteen. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> th- thank you. I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll take it as a compliment, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but I, you know, I lucked out. I lucked out that school was pretty easy for me up and up you know, through high school. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, it, I knew what it took to get, to get straight A's and that, mm-hmm. and for what I wanted to do, I mean, my parents were like, what do you want to do? And I was like, okay, I want to do this. And they're like, okay, well, if you want to get into the best schools that teach this kind of stuff, this is, these are the grades you need to get. These are the test scores you need to get. So uh-huh. you better do it. Yeah. And yeah, I just, uh, I, and so I, I did it mm-hmm. and that, and that now I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm in college. I'm on pat on the track to do what I want to do, studying economics. And then I, I, re- I realized I was not good at economics. Oh, so you, it wasn't even like I'm bored of this. It was like no, it was there was no boredom. <laughs> there was serious effort. Uh, and wow, I would t- I would I love I love the information. Yeah, yeah. But I would take the t- the tests, and these tests, I would I would keep getting like with the curve because there's so many really smart kids at my school. I went to UC Berkeley and Oh yeah, yeah. So the the curve would just be insane mm-hmm. and I would do okay, but then I would get the grade deserved of an okay effort. Yeah. And so I'd get these like, you know, C's, D's and F's on these midterms. And I'm like, what is going on? The oh, fir- man. first C plus I ever got in math. I know for some people listening, that sound it sounds like I'm complaining about something very, you know, minor. But let me tell you that when you're used to doing, when you're used to being Straight the best A's. at something, yeah, take whatever the you are best at, whether it's listening to this podcast or, <laughs> um, or maybe you're really good at carving with wood, and then all of a sudden you have cerebral palsy and you can't hold a, a block of wood, yeah, you will lose your mind, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, it's like you're waltzing your way to Berkeley more or less, and then all of a sudden, yeah, yeah it's I, like, oh shit. I'll be honest. There was there was a part of me that, based on the schools I applied to, Berkeley was like kind of like a, it wasn't a safety school, but it was like just in between like a school I was looking to get into and 
the safety schools that I had. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I learned very quickly that that was not the mentality to have. (laughs) Uh, so I, yeah, but I made some switches and you know, I had already started doing comedy and I was like crying at home. Mm -hmm. One of many times I was doing that (laughs) in my my first three semesters. Uh And my mom's like, honey, you seem so miserable. What? Obviously this is not, I mean, you may want to do this, but something's not working. Yeah. I I come to the realization, I based on my grades, I was not going to get into the major because you had to apply to the economics major because so mm-hmm. many people wanted to do it. All these kids who wanted to go to uh, the Haas School of Business because right. you had to apply to get into that. So I was, I was like, I told my mom, I was like, I think I want to write comedy. She's like, okay. Not very economical. <laughs> but... She, I mean, she said the, probably the best thing she could have said, which was, all right, well, if you can figure out a way to make money doing it, go for it. Right on. Yeah. So I, I, I for a woman who's in business and, you know, a very successful woman in business, I, mm-hmm. I really appreciate that she, you know, gave me as much of a green light as she could give. Yeah. And that was, and so you just, did you drop out or did you keep going? No, no, I finished school. I that was that was still something important to me to yeah. finish school i i thought about it but it um my fan education is still very important to me I, so i just figured i'll find a major that i can do mm-hmm. and i was i was getting a's in some classes i wasn't failing in everything i was i was getting a's in french mm-hmm. and i had studied spanish in high school so i liked learning languages mm-hmm. and so what i did was i found a major where I could just study languages because I didn't want to read French literature. Right. I don't understand. I mean, I get, I get that people want to do that, but I, it was not for me. So <laughs> I, so I found linguistics and which is just the study of the structure of language. Mm. And that, that whole world bl- opened up to me. And that was, that's a really interesting field. So if you, and if you're interested in studying linguistics, um, there's so much literature to read. Yeah. You know, you can start with the basics of like just studying ph- phonetics. It was just how everything in language breaks down to the, just the base sounds that we use. Yeah. Isn't there that, it's like a Bill Bryson book. I think that, uh, like the mother tongue or something like that. Yeah. I mean, there may be a lot of books, it's like, like a, pop book, a lot of pop culture books on language will employ some linguistics knowledge, mm-hmm. but you don't need to know, you don't need to be a linguist to understand it. Yeah, they'll, yeah. they'll make it, um, user-friendly. There's a podcast I, I started listening to called The History of English. Mm. And the guy who, who is the narrator of the podcast is not a linguist, but he uses a little bit of comparative and historical linguistics to find out how we, how English came, you know, eventually from Proto-Indo-European, mm. which, you know, which is language spoken. You know, the, it's, all that stuff is sort of like alleged and theoretical. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, this is what we thought people spoke in this region of the world, sort of this fertile crescent region around, you know, you know, several thousand years ago. Yeah. What can you, I don't know that much about like the origin of language. I mean, what do the people think about what, what, what's like the, the working theory or whatever of like the first, I don't know, like kind of words people said, like, how did the, how did it arise? Do you know? Um, what I, it's, we, we could, we could approach this a lot of different ways, but I'm, what I will say is, Something I I have studied is we what makes humans uniquely different from other creatures is that we use language as a vessel to convey meaning. Yeah, there's a difference between having language and communicating. Mm-hmm. Most animals 
communicate for sure. They have, you know, they have certain, some of them have very specific, uh, sounds that signal, Hey, a predator's coming or Hey food. Right. Or Hey, I want to mate with you. Mm -hmm. But humans are, you know, have this other thing in our brains that makes us different where we have things like intentions. Right. And we want, we want to make, make people feel a certain way by saying by saying things a certain way. Mm-hmm. That's what we do on stage, and that's what we that's what we do in conversation. And the the part that that really blew me away was I took a philosophy class. It was called the philosophy of language, and it's taught by this guy that you you, you might be interested in um, if you want to get into this. Yeah, yeah. It, this guy's name is John Searle. Okay, uh, it's S E A R L E. Okay, and he's one of the he's one of the more famous philosophers that's alive today, uh, and he is known for making philosophy a little bit more palatable to people who are not, you know, uh, aspiring philosophers. Sure. Yeah. I'm by saying that I'm not, it's, I'm not saying that much philosophy (laughs) is most philosophy text is very dense, very hard to parse through, Uh but he made it just a little bit more uh, palatable. And he talks a lot about speech acts where everything we say is an, is a speech act. And, and everything we say is sort of a performance in sure, some, yeah, some yeah. way. So there's certain certain performative speech acts. There's things like um, expressives and assertions, expressions, assertions, uh, uh, declarations. Uh-huh. Like if I and those all and those all have to do with things like um, the reality that we set and whether we're we're changing reality to fit our words. Or we're changing. We're adjusting our words to fit the reality that we're in. Hmm. So if I assert that uh, the sky is blue, for example. I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying that my my words are fitting like a reality. Right. I'm I'm trying to make sure I got this right because I learned this <laughs> several years ago. But I'm asserting that there is a reality that exists that fits that fits my words. Mm-hmm. Um, when I make a declaration that I declare the sky is blue, mm-hmm. um, I'm saying that there is a there's a reality that fits my words, and my words also fit a reality. So it works two ways. Okay. If I say the sky is green, I, you know, it's the same thing. Right. Um, we eventually find that's not true, but uh, that's all. We also talked about in another class, like, is language uniquely human? You know, what, what makes language, you know, I learned about all these different cultures that they see the world differently. And I think language uh, helps formulate that perception of reality. Because there's some, like, with colors, for example, there's some cultures that do not distinguish between green and blue. They just hmm. call it blue. Huh. They don't distinguish, be- some don't distinguish between red and orange. Yeah. They just call it red. Mm-hmm. Or pink. That's all That's all in red. Sometimes even yellow is in uh, red. It's just so, like less red. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. Min- yeah it's just, minor red. Yeah. It's just another red. Yeah. And so that really, that, I think that informs how people you know, see the world. So... And there, there's some, like, there's a tribe we learned about that's like, there's a lot of interesting tribes that are, like, in the Amazon or in Southeast Asia that have, that are, live in remote areas and are not, don't have a lot of visits from outsiders. Right. And one of them is called the Piraha, and they're in, you know, the Amazon in Brazil, and they, one of their, like, their counting system was so strange, there was, like, their counting system was zero, one, and then more than one. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, and, and so, and... Based on what their what their needs were, that that worked for them. Yeah, and some and there was also the the guy who discovered this the Piraha. He was a missionary, and he was trying to 
convert them to Christianity. But when, of course, <laughs> but they, but the way their language works when it comes to um, witnessing, he was trying to tell them about Jesus Christ, <laughs> and their language doesn't account for only accounts for things that people experienced firsthand. Mm-hmm. So if, <laughs> if when he was trying to tell them about Jesus, they're like, yeah. they're like, have you met Jesus? He's like, <laughs> well, no. Um, but I know, I know him, you and in, in my faith. And we're like, well, then we don't believe you. <laughs> How can we believe you if you haven't met him? How can he be real if you haven't met him? Yeah. I mean, what did he, he say that he's like, well, but, but he, I just dude, know he, he lost his faith. Wow. He he stopped being a Christian. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm also picturing him trying to explain like the concept of the Trinity. He's like, you know, it's it's more than one. <laughs> yeah, and they're just like, who are these people? Yeah, that's it's like it's almost Seinfeldian. It's just like, who are these people? <laughs> just like, <laughs> who are these people? Yeah, going around trying to save us. You just picture Seinfeld in like a loincloth. <laughs> yeah. So he Headdress. lost. His, wait, so he just complete, he lost his faith just because because uh, he couldn't explain it, or they just he, that direct. It was it was so simple. It was they're they're because they were not. I don't think they were. I think they were trying to understand, but I right. think they just. That's just not how their language works. Yeah, and so he just stopped being a Christian. And I I don't think he lives with that group, but I think he he spends a lot of, like the bulk of his year working with them. Yeah, it's almost like an innocent, uh, not to like patronize these people, but it's almost like an innocent child question. Mm-hmm. You know, you the child's not trying to like prove you wrong or like win one over just like yeah Yeah. like well children children are very are very good at asking these kinds of questions because they haven't their foundation is so is flexible but they but the rules that they do have they they abide by very very harshly yeah because that's all they have but they haven't been socialized to have all these types of rules yeah the the, yeah they're they're not socialized to all of western culture or or eastern culture wherever they're from and so they you know it's just like there's I do. I, I love the simplicity of it. Yeah, and I, I it boggled my mind that no other group had posed the question quite like that. Hmm. I mean, I guess the guy could have lied and said he met he had met <laughs> Jesus. Like I met him in my in prayer. I met him in a dream. Yeah, but I think that I think their world doesn't like their like, worldview doesn't. Um, I mean, I don't. Maybe it accounts for spirits, but I don't know if it accounts for it in the same way. So that. Yeah. So those are the kinds of things I learned in studying linguistics that really. Um, that blew my mind. Yeah, that's all fascinating. I have to look mm-hmm. up it. He said, "Is Searle John Searle?" John Searle. Yeah. He. The, I don't. I mean, I don't know if I agree with everything he says, but I mean, he was. He's a pretty interesting fellow. Yeah, I love. Um, I don't know. I love thinking about like sometimes I, I think language. Obviously, it evolved as this very uh, utilitarian, and still is extremely utilitarian for accomplishing a lot of stuff. But I think, I don't know. When I think of my own, uh, maybe like mental strife or mental problems I've had, they've often relied like it often is about getting and caught up in this like narrative of my life or like getting too sucked into the movie in my mind, which is often based on just like following a thought process all the way down, which is using language. It's like, sure. but it's like using this sort of, I don't know, sometimes language. I, I think it goes back to like how, how naturalistic is language? How accurate is it to actually represent reality? And I, I think of, in the sense of like, okay, like animals, right? Who they communicate, but they don't mm-hmm. have language. Mm-hmm. One of like the coolest thing about being out in nature and being around animals is that they're not, uh, they're just doing their thing. They're being animals, but they're not like all, they're not, they're not like concerned about what they're doing. Yeah. They're, they're just surviving. Yeah. They're not make. they're not like, uh, having these sort of 
existential dilemmas Mm -hmm. because of that. Um, Yeah, you don't see like a dog wondering why it exists. (laughs) Right. He's like, should I? Should I pee on the floor? Just like sitting on a porch smoking a cigarette. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm just like, so uh, I. But what um, am I doing here? (laughs) But is it better to be domesticated? (laughs) Yeah. Or not? Um, I could be free. (laughs) But uh, so okay, so you you grew up Bay Area. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, the stereotype from uh, coming from looking from the south towards the Bay Area is that you're a bunch of heathens. Is that is that where you're from? Yeah, I'm from North Carolina. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, my dad's actually a, a Presbyterian minister, so oh, I had cool, cool. I had that type of upbringing. I'm guessing you were uh, secular of some sort. Is that an accurate guess or no? Yeah, I mean, the only times I went to church growing up were if I was sleeping over at a friend's house and they went to church, and, <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I don't want my mom picking me up at 9 a.m." <laughs> right. Uh, Might so, as well tag along. Yeah. So I mean, it's not like I haven't been to church before. It's but it was not it was not part of the regular Sunday. Yeah. Um, fair. Um, the way I describe my, my family on stage and it's you know pretty accurate is that my, I, my mom is one of the, is one of those spiritual white ladies <laughs> and my, my dad is, you know, more or less an atheist. He, his feelings are if he can't see, feel, taste, touch it, it's not yeah, there. I haven't met him. So, so right. like, I haven't met Jesus. It's that right. same type of thing. Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't think my dad's you know, using the Piraha as, <laughs> as his guide. <laughs> But I, he, that's that's his feeling on it. Yeah. And you know, my mom is, you know, she, she'll go back and forth on like, what her faith is. But I, one of the things that she told me is she feels that death is like taking off a warm winter coat, hmm. and, which is a nice sentiment. I don't I don't know if I know wholly what it means, mm-hmm. but you know, my as far as like religious doctrine or religious teachings, um, you know, I I kind of grew up with the idea that you don't necessarily need religion to have morality. Sure, yeah. There's plenty of ways to be a good person. And I think that religion does offer a lot of people a chance or sort of like a guidebook to how to be a decent person. Yeah. And, I, and if that works for them, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, do you know Miles K, the stand-up? I do, yeah. Yeah, he's another um, person, actually also from the Bay Area, mm-hmm. also raised atheist, but a moral uh, atheist. Right, um, right. And I talked to him a long time ago on this podcast. I'm, I'm curious... Uh, what uh, if you didn't have since you didn't have religion, but you were you were raised with morality and uh, and that sort of thing? What uh, what would your parents like use to as I mean, was it as simple as like just like a date, like like lessons as they come up? Were there specific like I don't know, like works, like pieces of art or something like like in terms like oh like books what? or like stories that they were like, see, this is like a good moral, like you should take this from. Yeah, I, I, I'd, say, I'd say fables, I guess, were probably the beginner, uh-huh. like when, when you're a kid. And I think they they focused a lot on like how my actions affected other people. Mm. That was very impressed upon me that like uh, yeah. when you do something, it affects other it affects others. Mm-hmm. You know, there and also and there are certain things like you got to look both ways before you cross the street. That's because like if you don't there's going to be consequences. You're going to get hit by a car. Right. Or, or you might, or you'll be traumatized because you'll almost get hit by a car. Yeah. So yeah, we just, we focus a lot on that. My mom did tell me what, you know, about things about the stories of Jesus and Moses and the, 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 the big hits, 
<laughs> sure. Uh, just the, to be the, culturally literate. Yeah. Nothing the, else. Yeah. The biblical greatest hits. Uh-huh. And <laughs> she's like, you should know these stories because people are going to talk about them mm-hmm. and you should know what they're talking about. Yeah. Skip we, their regular albums of the Bible. Just we, get the greatest yeah, hits. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and if you, you know, if you want to learn more, well, you know, I can, I can help you learn more. Cause I mean, she grew <laughs> yeah. up in a, in a loosely Episcopalian background and, okay, yeah, yeah. and my dad's, um, my dad's mom's like, you know, Lutheran, mm-hmm. you know, Pennsylvania Dutch kind of background. But I, I don't feel like it really translated to them where they're like, we got to take our kids to church. Yeah. Uh, and it's not like, it's not like my parents are better than anybody else. And no one's, I don't know if anyone's better than them, but they're, but they do, they were just very good at like, you know, teaching lessons. Yeah. And like, I think I only... And then I only got spanked once where, and I think that was, and that was cause I threw a rock at my mom and it was like, <laughs> don't you ever do that again? Yeah. But hey, I, violence begets violence. So, but I was also a very active child. And so lessons were learned frequently in mm. real world experiences. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I jumped off a swing when I was one and a half and broke my leg mm. and I, you know, I, you know, I'd climb trees and fall off of those and mm. like all, all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like the fact that I didn't die before the age of four is (laughs) miraculous yeah and so uh, there were a lot of real world lessons that were were learned and i also you learned the you know the value of like having a younger brother and i also as the older brother i had to be set an example Mm. so i had to kind of live a responsible existence Uh, and like my brother like my brother's turning 21 today Mm -hmm. and when he was born you know, 21 years ago, my dad jokingly said to, uh, to me as a five-year-old, it was like, okay, from now on, everything's your fault. <laughs> and what, and what did he mean by that exactly? Well, he was joking, but you, you can't joke with a five-year-old. Right. Because um, five-year-olds <laughs> don't speak sarcasm. Uh-huh. But he, but he did, but what I did, lo- you know, take from it, um, however literally, is that like, I have to be, I have to be the example for this guy. Mm, yeah. And so that, I think that also created a, f- a fair guidebook. And also, you know, there were things like, um, the reason why to have, I need to have good grades is like, my parents were always like, you got to keep all, you want to keep options open. Totally. Yeah. If you get good grades, options remain open. If you don't get good grades, options start closing up. My dad called it getting your ticket to the game. Mm, yeah. And essentially you start out in life with your ticket and if you if you fuck up uh-huh are we allowed to swear on this yeah we can swear. okay yeah, yeah. uh if you if you fuck up you you start losing your ticket mm. uh so but if you but if you keep your but if you keep your grades up and you you remain like an upstanding citizen you you keep your ticket yeah or it's like yeah like not to uh try to, not to try to one up your dad's analogy but no, no, no. uh like you it's like if you had like uh a, a huge book of tickets and you had tickets to all these possible events and all these possible things that's probably that's probably a, that is a better analogy <laughs> just the, yeah, i mean hey you, if it's, you're explaining it to a five-year-old then maybe yeah. you just keep it to one ticket you're yeah like, what's well, a book you, of you tickets got, yeah, yeah, a book of tickets what there's a book full of tickets <laughs> <laughs> I can't read that book. <laughs> um, but that, it's interesting, I, I think, because um, the lessons there, it sounds like they were teaching, um, were essentially just that there is a world outside of you, and there are people very much so beyond yeah. you. There are other... Because when you say, like, this will affect other people, you're saying, like, 
you know how th- things affect you and how you experience shitty things. Other mm-hmm. people will also feel shitty. Mm-hmm. You, and then the, from that, it's almost like we inherently are like, oh, mm-hmm. shit. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't, they didn't feel, they didn't pressure you one way or the other to not go to church or anything. No, no. They, I mean, that was, it wasn't part of our schedule. I think, I think church, the, the concept of church come, I think it came up, but it just, it manifested in a different form. I mean, like I, I'm going to go play soccer later. Soccer right. was church for me and it still is in a way. Mm, Cause yeah, I, yeah. if, if you, if you think, if you see church as the concept of, uh, you're there every weekend. Mm hmm. Um, sometimes multiple times a week mm-hmm. and you are communing with people yeah, yeah. who are like-minded and want to better themselves and want to, you know, they want to, they want to expand their community and they, and you, and you learn very clear lessons. Uh, yeah. I learned very clear lessons on the soccer field. You learn how to be part of a team and mm-hmm. you travel with these people and you, um, you, you're, in a way you're providing a service in the form of entertainment and your, your, your parents are watching you grow. And yeah, well, even the joy of, uh, of playing a sport, you know, um, like my favorite times playing sports, I think it, it's whenever and performing or whatever it is, it's always when we're like in the zone, right? Like mm-hmm. quote unquote in the zone where you're just reacting, you're just being instinctual. You're just, you're not thinking about what you're doing. You're sort of, and to me, that's like a minor form of ego surrender. Cause you're, you're not, you don't have time to control. You don't have time to have a grip on things. You're just flowing in the course of the game and you're filling the role that you need, like that, you know, needs to be filled. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that, and that's the concept of a team. I mean, I, I'd love, yeah, that I I think that is like a valid uh, form of quote unquote religion in the Mm -hmm. sense that like, there's like, there's a one reverend Episcopalian reverend actually uh, retired Ed Bacon who uh, he talks about like, the four things that are common in like every religion and it's uh, show up, pay attention, speak truth and don't care about the results. And okay. uh, I think even like the, especially like the don't caring about results. I mean, sports definitely teach you that. Yeah. You, you, you have to be outcome independent to some degree. Yeah. And you, you, you still have to, you still have to put in the effort uh, regardless. Right. And you, know, you can put in all the effort you want and still lose a game. Right. And it's, and that's, I think that's what also like, you know, tempered my, uh, my mindset is learning how to lose. Mm, yeah. And how to pick yourself up from the losing. Yeah. And move on. And le- yeah, I'm learning that losing is not everything. And yeah, you know, when I have a bad set on stage, it's, it's not great, but it's not the end of the world. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll get on stage again tomorrow. Exactly. And then who knows what'll happen? Cause it's, some things are totally out of your control. Some things are, yeah. And sometimes I don't, sometimes I don't show up as much as I want to. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sometimes I'm just like, ah, I wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. And, um, and I love one thing I love about like playing sports. I don't know how your teams were are, um, when teammates are willing, like you, because it gets, it can get emotional and you're like, people mm-hmm. will be like, Hey, fucking like defend or like, like the people get really heated, but I think yeah. there is an honesty there where mm-hmm. it's like, Oh no, this is like, this guy isn't like playing with me. He's not pretending to like <laughs> feel a certain way. Yeah. There's like there, an honest, raw communication there. It was very rare that I came across someone who wasn't, you know, telling me something to do like outside of like ur- the urgency of it. There, yeah. It was, there, I only had like one or two players that I played with that were like, condescending on the field and <laughs> they're just terrible to play with yeah but i mean the, yeah those players they they come and go and you know 
they'll they'll find their team. How are your coaches? Like, what were their styles? Were they like kind of authoritarian military style, or more like players coaches? Like, hey, just have fun. I th- I I mean, I had a lot of different styles of coaching. I mean, uh-huh. I had like my dad coached some of my teams, uh, and he was my dad's very like, you know, if you, if you're being a bonehead, he'll 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 let you know. Yeah. But I mean, at a certain point, you just got to go play, and you got to like. You know, if you're assigned a role, you got to do it. And mm-hmm. uh, I had some coaches that were very negative reinforcement mm. based, whereas like, like w- if we were at practice, it was like, well, if you guys are going to practice at the level I want you to, you're just going to run. Mm. You may not be the most skilled team, but you're going to be the fittest team. Yeah. And so we just, you know, they make us do wins. <laughs> you're like, I don't want to be the fittest team. Yeah. And I, I think, I think those coaches were, those coaches were okay, but I, I didn't really learn as much from those guys. Mm. Uh, the best coaches were the ones that, you know, they provided incentive and they, there were, there are some coaches that are truly inspiring and you want, uh, some of my high school coaches were like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some that were really intense, mm-hmm. a lot of them were from other countries. Um, you know, some were from the Ukraine or from Nigeria or England or, mm-hmm. uh, South America and, you know, I had a British coach in high school who was really, uh, you know, he, he wouldn't, he uses sort of like a, sort of a British, you know, whim, I don't want to call it whimsy because it's like, that's, that's putting it too lightly, but he, his sort of a British way of words where he, yeah. he'd say, you know, well, if you, well, if you play like that, you're not, you're not going to get there. Right. And like, so he, <laughs> yeah. And, it's that, that. And, and he's sort of like, he's sort of like reasoning with you is like, reasoning you through the the play and it's like it's like yeah i'm, I'm not gonna get there it's like so maybe if you put it like that then you, <laughs> then, you, then you can actually get there right <laughs> a lot a lot of pa- it's like passive it's passive aggression at its finest yeah and it's like leading you towards this goal and uh yeah instead of like directing and i i had a nigerian coach that he he roared like a lion he was <laughs> he scared the hell out of me <laughs> Uh, he he would just yell back, Stuart, get to the ball. You need to run faster. <laughs> that's a great yeah. Nigerian accent. I mean, that, I mean, that was who that guy. That's who Godwin was. And you know, there he was. He would also like, he would not learn learn people's names. Like he learned, he knew my name because he, he he knew my dad and he knew me from when I was younger. But yeah, yeah. There was a Korean kid on our team named Min Jun, and he just never learned that dude's name. He just, <laughs> he just called him Korea. <laughs> Oh my God. Like, Korea, run faster. <laughs> it was hilarious, but it was it was terrifying at the yeah. same time. Have you ever uh, have you ever coached at all? Like I, a youth league or anything? Or I I almost I considered dabbling in coaching mm-hmm. down here in L.A. and the schedule just did not work for sure. Wh- yeah, what being a comedian because there were you know we'd be coaching like super early in the morning and i was just like i went to one practice and mm-hmm. i and i know how to like set up drills and like be i'm better at being like a team captain than i am at being like a coach mm. and i'm sure i could if i had kids and they wanted to play and they played a yeah. sport I'd, I'd be down to coach um in what way and like why do you think that is i don't know i because i'm like i know how to organize the team from the f- on-field perspective, mm. um, or maybe maybe I'm just like not as good at like coaching little kids. I, I that could be just a limitation. <laughs> where it's like I don't like I really don't like corralling. Yeah, 
children like that corralling and then the explaining of like base stuff some people have a real talent and gift for that yeah and i'm not i don't really know how to like turn on the animated face just like okay guys let's like i don't I <laughs> okay don't, guys yeah i don't want to i don't want to speak kid yeah i'd rather like when i tutor kids like i, I tutor kids on the side and like i mm-hmm. i definitely like working with kids that are in, at least a little bit closer to my age mm. than like, like high school yeah middle school and high school because then I, I know how to like because they they appreciate when kids that age really appreciate it when you talk to them like they're an adult yeah they really they really dig it and yeah so, and because they feel like they're they're part of the club and so if i can you know but when i'm with like a, a much younger kid like under 10 then it, then it's more like you're just you're dealing with their their habits right and then and you're just trying to like get them to behave and sit down and pay attention yeah i mean i'm not a parent i, don't, I can't remember so i and i haven't worked with kids extensively but I, I feel like around eight or nine that's when they that's like the age kids stop wanting to be pandered to it's like up until that point you can like baby them give them like kid stuff and be like yeah. like oh yeah you're a kid i'll talk to you in this very condescending way yeah, m- tussle their hair around yeah, yeah. and then but after that they're like fuck you man yeah it's like yeah i'm not an idiot i'm 11 <laughs> yeah i can basically vote now i've seen boobs right? <laughs> <laughs> i've yeah. seen them i know the internet <laughs> that is frightening sometimes thinking about kids growing oh. up completely with the internet these days like yeah. from the, their whole life they will never not know the internet yeah that's it's or and they'll also know a great internet Right, a fully matured internet. Full broadband, highest of speed. You Uh can get anything you want, whenever you want. Memes everywhere. Instantaneously. Yeah. You know, the the internet was, I think the internet became great like three years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Before that, I don't like, I don't know how we tolerated how how long it took to get access to information or like dial up. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just, (laughs) it's brutal. Yeah, it's libraries. Like, it was like the internet came like the internet had like it was almost like a hostage situation. It came at like there were terms if you wanted to get the internet before. Like, <laughs> right. Like you can get the internet, but you have to give us your phone line. <laughs> no one can call you. Yeah. I I, I love thinking about like I'm sorry, I saw, I'm sorry, Mr. Call. I was looking up where <laughs> where elephants live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's so fascinating to me thinking about the internet as this great equalizer of information and like mm-hmm. through it's like it's just so such a perfect representation of why of like not only it's a mode of freedom of speech and freedom of information but like when you see things like have you ever heard of the Streisand effect of no. stuffing so the Streisand effect is a really interesting uh, it's st- I think it speaks to our, like our instinctual desire as humans to have truth get out. And we really react negatively to any uh, anytime we since we're being lied to. Because so the Streisand effect was like I can't even remember the exact thing it was. Somebody put up like I think pictures of Barbara Streisand's house or something or like they like some kind of photos. And she uh, tried really she like made some big stand to try to get them removed from the internet. Got and it. so there was a huge blowback. And then that her blowback caused it to go viral and caused it to spread everywhere. Yeah. Because she made a fuss about it. Right. And that's so we see that over and over again with various like controversies or whatever. Somebody had just kind of let it go or just not poke the beast. Yeah. If she, if she didn't care about it, then people like, all right, whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I love, 
I get that she wants to have her privacy. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's if if you just made it, you were just meh about it, then, yeah. you know, people probably wouldn't care too much. Right. And, like, I don't know. I, I think of, this is where I start getting, like, hippie a little bit, but, like, the universe being something and, and conscious, maybe, I don't know, consciousness being something that's not just something something that I personally like I Joe contain and then you Stuart contain like we have our own separate. Yes, we have our own uh, histories and our own stories, right. uh, but consciousness being something that we are all developing as a whole. And we are coming to understand ourselves as a species better and the universe coming to know itself better. I, I feel like the internet is, is like a way is the best thing ever at making that happen. I feel like we've had so much progress in the past five, 10 years of like, I don't know. You see, like, you see movements of like huge empathy. I mean, I know people make like maybe get tired of quote unquote social justice warriors or get like worn out by that type of like PC culture and stuff. But the, the PC culture is really at its heart trying to be more empathetic. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's only it, it seems to have r- risen with the internet and all this like ability to actually hear a direct story from anybody in the world without a filter, without being handpicked by uh you know p- the powers that be mm-hmm. in the media or anything like that sure and yeah there's i think i think we are definitely moving forward as a species that's that's for certain mm-hmm. and there are people who we hope that certain we don't move forward in certain ways and i and that they're welcome to believe that but you know if nature is about Nature's about being adaptable. Right. That's that's the whole Darwinian thing about it. Like if mm-hmm. you if you don't adapt, you will die. Yeah. And like that's that's just that's plain and simple. Mm-hmm. So I mean you, you gotta constantly be adapting it to your to the our changing environment, you know. Yeah. You're sure there's people, you know, you're from North Carolina, sure there's people that are like, you know, I don't want an all gender bathroom, but like that's that's the world we're eventually going to live in. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah there's unfortunately, <laughs> there's a lot of people that are, uh, it's, it's amazing to me how, how heated that issue. It's like, who cares? Really it's the bathroom. Right. It's where, it's where we go. It's where we go make a stinky. That's like, that's literally what it yeah. is. And was this really an issue before? No, like no, nobody, like there's where there weren't rampant, uh, stories of like shenanigans going down in bathrooms or anything like that. Well, so how many times have you, have you say there's two bathrooms, it's a men's and women's bathroom. Yeah. You're there's a huge line for the men's room. Mm-hmm. No one going in the women's room. Oh, exactly. Everyone, uh, every guy in that line is like, I could just go in the women's bathroom. Yeah. There's I've no done one, that before. There's no one. Yeah, yeah. We've all done that before. Yeah. And sure. The people at the, at the gas station might be like, Hey, we prefer you not do that mm-hmm. because the, we have these rules that we've set up. But like if they were both all gender bathrooms, the line would be cut in half. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. It's, uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. It, it, empathy just for, cause I, I don't know with that situation specifically, I just, I mean, I, I try to understand like where people are coming against that. And I feel like it's fear based on like, Oh, they, they're, you know, they don't want, 
a they probably don't have a good relationship with any kind of trans person so they've never like encountered one mm-hmm. yeah how in can the you, first place how can you empathize with a trans person if you don't know them exactly and then and then then they project like the other fears of like oh well they're all tra- <laughs> there's a lot of trans people who want to like commit assaults and like commit horrible crimes in these bathrooms they want to like they, that's the common ones like do mm-hmm. you want your daughter with some dude and drag or something like that yeah it's like and dudes and drag are not trans people <laughs> right there's a different a transvestite is not a transgender person also this law wasn't stopping any of that from happening like bef- like if assault is going to happen it's just going to mm-hmm. happen yeah but i'm all for i'm all for increasing empathy i do sometimes think that people claim they're increasing their empathy or showing that they're more open to other people mm-hmm. at the cost of they might they're trying to include other people while excluding others definitely and, yeah and if you are going to say you're inclusive in any respect, then you should be including everybody. Right. You know, sometimes people think the word, like in the, in the, in the entertainment industry, diversity is usually referred to anyone who's not like a straight white man. Right. And as a, as a straight white dude, I'm, I'm saying I'm not, I'm not bummed out by it. I just think that it's a little, it, it is a little hypocritical if someone's going to, if you're going to say diversity, diversity means Everybody, right? So, a diversity of point of view too. And I, and I totally and I totally get that you know people you know any any minority any you know, women uh, you know people of color uh, you know LGBTQ mm-hmm. uh, et cetera et cetera people like those people have not been show showcased um, in in the limelight as much as yeah. straight white dudes. They've been underrepresented for sure. Yeah. And I'm all for them being overrepresented but in the eyes of like networks for example i definitely think that if you're going to claim diversity and exclude straight white men that's fine you just have to call that what it is though yeah i mean you you have to own up to it honestly we need diversity we need more republicans in the entertainment industry if it's the real diversity sure we have a complete dearth of them yeah why not those are those people are underrepresented and i'm sure they don't all want to be on fox news right (laughs) I do wonder, like, I don't know, getting, like, I think the biggest way, and this is why I am thankful for the internet, I mean, even this podcast is, I guess, an example of that. It's like, the only way that we can guarantee increased empathy is by telling, at least I can tell my own story as honestly as I can. Sure. So then, you, whoever's, whoever just happens to be listening, they, they're literally just hearing my point of view. They're creating some sort of empathy. And then that a converse throughout a conversation, then mm-hmm. I hear their point of view back and forth, et cetera. Yeah. Um, do you, I mean, do you feel like that's something that you, I don't know, you do with your comedy? Is that an aspect of things? I mean, you're a pretty personal guy on stage. Sure. Yeah. I, I'm always trying to understand what other people are going through. And, there are times when I feel, there's times when I feel like a robot who can't empathize with anybody. I, I mentioned my brother earlier. My brother's, I think, way more naturally empathetic mm-hmm. and sensitive than I am. Just like from the jump, mm-hmm. um, he really feels what other people are feeling, mm-hmm. and I don't always feel it quite the same way. But I am, I do want to, I do want to learn about what other people are going through, and you know, I just when I see people who are like, I'm going to references from what we're doing, which is some, what I see people do on stage. When I see people act, you know, consciously or unconsciously homophobic or misogynistic or, um, 
or just ignorant, for example. And and it's not like part of their character mm. to be that way. Right. That I mean, if someone is uh, a character on stage and there and ignorance is part of their character, sometimes that is the funniest thing. Yeah. You could watch because they're lampooning the ignorance. Exactly. And and sometimes there's a good satire, and people will get it or they won't. But when someone is being that way, and it's not, and it's just you realize, oh, that's just how, what how they think. That's the definition of ignorance. Yeah, and it's like that's that's when I start to I start to drop off, and I was like, you know what? Audiences are not dumb, right? Audiences audiences are a lot smarter than you know. I might or we might give them credit for totally you know they can they can smell when they can tell when a comic is feeling fearful on stage or when yep. they're feeling insecure yeah uh, they might not be able to verbalize it but they they can they can sense oh, it they can conscious. feel it yeah. yeah exactly and so if a, they can also tell if a comic has not done their research I started in yep. I started in San Francisco and those audiences would sometimes fact check what you were saying while you were on stage <laughs> they'd be like looking on Wikipedia yep. or on on Snopes, uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, I read this article about this, and it's like, no, you didn't. And it's like, <laughs> that's when I was like, okay, that this is a joke. Yeah, <laughs> I'm making fun of something. Yeah, not everything might be based in complete fact, but yeah. And I, when I would also run jokes by my mom, which I do more rarely now, uh, is you know she would be like, yeah, but did that happen? And I'm like, not the point. Yeah. Well, what do you think is behind that? And because again, that, that's to me. Now I'm sort of maybe maybe ham-fisted shoving everything through this lens, but to me that's just another example of like the universe as a whole. We are each individual pixels of it. Like we are dying to know the truth of the situation. Like what do you think? And whether it's an audience like telling a like fact-checking a comedian, a comedian who thinks he's telling the truth, audience saying like, no, you're not really telling the truth. I mean, what do you think is like driving that? I I don't. I mean, I think. Well, I think we live in a world now where everyone everyone is a little on edge about like what the truth is because I feel like more people are realizing that we've been probably lied to <laughs> yeah. by the by the people we've elected and the mm-hmm. people that we look up to. Yeah. And I think people are just like they want to feel that someone is telling them the truth. Yeah. And it's almost like I think this election has been a perfect example of there are just literally two different Americas right now and two different versions of reality out there. Those are, those are the people I want to understand the most. I want to understand why people are voting for Trump. Yeah, I really do. And, and I do want to understand why people are voting for Clinton, but it's, I mean, that answer is a little bit, I think easier to find the ends. If and only if, because a lot of people are using Clinton as the sort of lesser of two evils. Yeah. Argument. Well, I think you said it right there was that, people are tired of being lied to and for better or worse i think hillary has a lying problem i'm probably voting for her in november i'm not voting for trump but uh, i couldn't i just can't yeah Um, and and i know people who are republicans who can't vote for trump yeah and and but some of them are also like like i can't vote for hillary so who am i going to vote for right i was like who are you going to vote for gary johnson i've seen that guy on tv that guy's (laughs) that guy doesn't know his ass from his elbow yeah Jill Stein? Who is Jill Stein? Yeah, but I, I think Trump is that the representation of the middle finger to the establishment. I mean, that's the, been the theme of the whole thing. It's like we are tired of being lied to, and mm-hmm. some people just say Hillary is the supreme liar in a lot of people's eyes. Trump seems like what would He's happen. also a huge liar, by the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. Path- pathologically so. It's insa- It's really weird. Yeah. Like literally everything. I That article came out yesterday about like him. He got like a 900 
million dollar tax break. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he wouldn't have to pay taxes for like 18 years or whatever. And mm-hmm. I haven't gotten to delve into the nitty gritty of it, but I, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it in full later, later this week. But holy moly, man, like that's, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I understand there, we, we saw this a little bit with Mitt Romney, the guys who knew how to game the system because they were big business people, mm-hmm. but Trump feels it's not, it doesn't feel about like a business thing, thing with Trump. Trump just wants to be more in the limelight. He's kind of like what would happen if like troll culture, like internet troll culture manifested a candidate. Right. Well, and it's it's always been more about feeling with him, and I think his supporters have all been about this the feeling of like he's saying the things that feel good and that feel right in light of all this shit. That's a great thing. That it's an interesting thing that you brought up because I had forgotten about this. And so, the idea of feeling is, I ident- I identify with that because that's something that we do as performers on stage. Like, you can feel that something is true. But that that and I think a lot of people are starting to use this argument legitimately mm-hmm. in politics, in in business, and in in uh, in entertainment. And it's like when you just because you feel something is true does not make it true. Yeah, and that's to it's tie like, it back around to kind of a religious thing, right? I mean, that's the different. I mean, there's some people who they go to church every every week. They feel the truth. They feel the spirit. They they have a legitimate. To them, the feeling of it is undeniable. It would be silly to call it yeah. not true in the sense that, like, no, I was there. I I was, like, I had the emotions I, were there. I, I witnessed was, it. Yeah, like, how can you tell me? I, I think that's what holds a lot of Christians, even ones in, like, I mean, Presbyterians are fairly well-educated, fairly uh, intelligent, I would say, for Christians. Um, that's the, the people I came from, and I don't identify as a Presbyterian anymore, but I think a lot of them would say, like, no, yeah, like it's it's beyond an intellect like sometimes i don't know they feel like the intellect maybe it's because we've been lied to or something like the intellect and the words bring back the language they can misdirect and mislead you away from a a deeper intuitive truth well and just because you believe something to be true does not mean it's fact right those are two different things the truth and facts are very different sometimes Mm. they coincide Mm. but it's a it's like a venn diagram where just a sliver of each circle is intersecting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just could, every time you say anyone, anytime someone says, I feel I'm starting to, it's, it's almost, I, I don't like using the term trigger, but like I'm start every time I hear someone <laughs> say, I feel I start to get this sense of like, Oh, I'm going to be, someone's going to use some bullshit <laughs> to, and they're going to try and pass it off. Like it's okay. That's so funny. I, cause I, I take almost the opposite approach and maybe it's through like learning cause like a, a therapist or people will tell you to use like I statements. They'll actually tell you like use an I feel statement when arguing with somebody mm-hmm. to be like, I feel this way. I feel like in this relationship, I feel blank. I feel like you're doing something versus saying versus the assertion of mm-hmm. like you're lying to me, or I, you're, you're hurting me. It's like, I feel like you're hurting me. So it's funny how you have a you just have a different take on that. But I see I see I, that though. I go to therapy yeah. weekly. Or yeah, me not, too. Yeah. I go every other week and I and I've we you know, I think we've pro- in my therapist and I have probably dabbled in the con- concept of like using those I feel statements. That's not that's usually not the nature of what I go there for. Right, but like, right. But yeah, you can say I feel all you want. But what's 
what's really happening? Mm-hmm. Like you still have to keep in mind what's really happening. Yeah. If, as long as the person saying I feel has some kind of sense of humility about it, like this is just how I feel and it, it may be bullshit, but it is how I feel. Yeah. You can feel that I'm wrong, but that doesn't mean I'm wrong. <laughs> right. I'm still like, <laughs> I'm like, I can, I can feel everything I want to feel, but there's a difference between right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, you know, Trump has, I guess, I guess commodified this concept of making I feel the actual truth. Yeah, it's it's dangerous. It is super dangerous. And but, but at the same time, I think the empathy from the left, maybe as somebody who's probably been more close, I don't consider myself, uh, you know, a, a Democrat or belonging to that party or anything. I sure. think. I think most of my views end up skewing left. Not all of them, but a lot of them do. Sure. Um, I think the left has had a snark problem and has had a condescension problem because of this sort of thing. Like where you're like, no, we see like we were like science and facts, and like we see that you're feeling. But I, I think there's also a truth, even if the okay, their literal interpretation of reality, we might say like doesn't jive with the facts that we know. The feeling, their feelings are are true like they their feelings truly exist mm-hmm. and so i don't know sometimes i just i do want to as we're trying to figure out with trump like why do trump people feel that way mm-hmm. that's what it starts with like acknowledging like yes you do feel that way and there's nothing wrong with feeling that way but let's let's wait till we like jump to conclusions about reality from your feeling yeah and i i really do want to understand why people are voting for trump i i do i have talked to some people who are vote are voting for him or planning to and a lot of times it has to do with some sort of like it's usually because they're like fiscal conservatives mm-hmm. they may be socially pretty liberal uh but fiscally they're just like well if hillary's gonna raise my taxes more than trump will uh i'm, I'm gonna vote for the person who's right keeping my taxes lower then it's just like it's just like a one issue <laughs> kind of thing it's like well could we maybe think about the the other ramifications of, of those, of that action. Right. How, you know, there are other things at stake that even economically, by the way, just cause I'm getting mm-hmm. taxed, le- if I'm getting taxed less and making less money, mm-hmm. uh, I'm then doesn't do me any good versus being taxed more, but I, everybody's prospering more. Yeah. This is a classical <laughs> economics argument. Yeah. And there are, there's a lot of things economically and fiscally about Trump that feel very fraudulent. Mm. oh definitely all all just my speech don't they don't feel very fraudulent they are (laughs) fraudulent (laughs) yeah they for sure are and i understand i understand if you like the gravitas of trump but in the political arena that i don't i don't think that's gonna fly yeah well yeah it's it's definitely scary um so we're we're about at time to wrap up i okay i told you uh, did I tell you the gimmick of the the show? Of yeah, you up? talked about make, creating your own religion, right? Yeah. Now you don't. I'm guessing you don't currently practice anything right now, right? Well, I think. Or do you? Well, I think, I think anything that you do, that anything that I do that is has any routine to it, I mm-hmm. think that I think there's a little bit of religion in okay, that. Okay. Sure. Okay. And I, I I don't I don't sure I may not pray to any particular being. Yeah. I do. I do put out intentions into the world and I do um I do try to be as 
good and honest a person as I can be. Mm-hmm. And I try to, I do try to treat people the way I want to be treated. And there's certain like golden rule kind of things that. Sure. But I do, and I do see, you know, going out and doing comedy every night as a form of ritual. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, my, I, I, my friend, uh, Sal Kalani had, in, had a joke where he talked about how Jesus was probably a comedian. <laughs> you know, just like, just the setting of, I don't want to, I don't want to butcher his joke, but I mean the setting of him just like, traveling around and Uh-oh. speaking in front of small groups of people and maybe he made them laugh a little bit. Uh, it's just like that. <laughs> that yeah. That, yeah. So I, I feel, uh, and I'm, I'm, I don't know how much of a Messiah complex I really have, but I, I do believe that the routine of going out and doing comedy every night is, um, is religion. Hmm. It, it's as much religion as I can, I can muster. Yeah. Well, and in, in the, you know, with, uh, in the comedy world, that's your, your community that's your congregation in a way mm-hmm. like your fellow comedians and the audience on a given night and yeah and, and building my own audience the right audience that wants to hear what i have to say specifically right that that's all that all feels as much like religion and i think i've had religion in it manifests itself in different forms whether it was playing soccer or being in a marching band mm-hmm. or being in a fraternity or mm-hmm. uh you know or not, and now being in comedy those are all as much religion as I can really, as, as much as I can conceptualize it. Yeah. And I, I think the idea of building an audience is really interesting too, from again, just to, just to bring it back to empathy again, like that you're basically creating this high empathy situation, at least, mm-hmm. you know, that's our, as a, uh, from the comic side, it's, I don't know. I think of it as my, not every comic approaches it this way at all, but like mm-hmm. my, my, my version of it is, I have a job to be as honest as possible mm-hmm. as I can, as long as I can articulate it sure, sure. well or in the right mediums. Um, and I just ask that people don't judge it <laughs> one way or the other. Yeah. Or you know, take it with a grain of salt. Right. Or, or just leave it and then yeah. don't troll me. <laughs> do you, do you deal with any trolling? Occasionally on the, uh, on the Facebook page, actually for this podcast, people like it'll, uh, some, somebody will like get us <laughs> we'll see it like a certain thing they won't e- like they'll post it they'll post so quickly i know they won't even be like they haven't listened to it they're just like it'll be some probably a highly it ends up being like a usually a very strong conservative or like sort of thing like oh god but like from from the standpoint where you can tell they don't really consider any other points of view or it's like oh god would be mad at this or like mm-hmm. oh this person is uh, <laughs> the religion is a lie sometimes i, I guess I, you know that is true there's sometimes there's ultra left wingers who take the other like this is all a sham this is all sure bullshit but they haven't they haven't even listened to what the premise of the the thing is i think yeah i think both sides of the argument could be could do to be a little bit more open yeah i i think i think conservative people could definitely serve to be more open and just like just have a listen i'm sure you might not agree with it but you know, if you re- if it really bothers you, you can just turn it off. Right. Hey, same with you don't s- need to make a fuss. And and if you're liberal, you should also be open to the fact that you might not be right. <laughs> exactly. And exactly. I I think it's helped me to. I, I say this in conversation all the time. Is like I might be wrong, and I'm okay with that. Mm. And I think that I think that helps. That that helps me at least. You know, navigate through the world for sure. Yeah, me too. Um, so lightning round of creating <laughs> All right. your own religion. 
Uh, cause I just don't want to keep you too long. No, 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 I, I appreciate that. You actually have to get to your, your religion. Yeah, I have, to, I, <laughs> I do have to get to church. <laughs> um, so first question, again, this can be as silly as serious. Doesn't have to be, okay. This doesn't have to be the final answer of whatever, I but, you. uh, um, in this, in this religion, what kind of concept of God do we want? Do we want monotheism? Do we want kind of a Buddhism where there's no sense of God? Do we want a polytheism, like Greek system where like everybody's got their own little thing they're in charge of? Your own personal Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that you actually met? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I think I would definitely oscillate between the concept of like, uh, just like rule by committee. <laughs> okay yeah i I just don't I, I like the idea of like you know the mclaughlin group you know that show yes yes pbs right yeah, i think so yeah it was either that or c-span uh-huh it was like yeah they were just like it was just like a bunch of old people arguing <laughs> right about like what politics was, yeah what was right and what was wrong and yeah. like, i don't know i, I can and i don't know if they ever really like came to a like a, a set conclusion uh-huh that's kind of what i you want the mclaughlin group yeah if the mclaughlin group could be could be you know what god <laughs> gods like a little yeah. couple of gods in the McLaughlin yeah group. yeah just like a conference room of gods <laughs> I feel, that that's ma- great i don't know that makes more sense to me because I, I feel like it, it allows for the just the ridiculous aspect that like i don't want i don't want to i don't want to sound condescending here it was like the concept the concept of prayer is, I, under, I i get that like you want to put out your intentions in the world and if you see prayer as that as just that then i i that makes that makes sense to me and i'm with you on that but when people see prayer as is like i need answers mm, right as like quid pro quo i th- yeah I, th- <laughs> I think i think you're i think those people are not giving themselves enough credit mm-hmm. it's like you have the you probably have the answers within you you're just like you just don't see it yet. Yeah. And so the idea of having a committee just sort of argue and bounce the idea around and probably get off topic very quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, I think it allows, I think it would allow for people to see the ridiculousness of needing an answer. Cool. Well, that kind of answers the next question, which is what's the overarching ethos. And that, that kind of is it. The ridiculousness of needing an answer. Yeah. It's like, you'll, if you really search it out, you will find the answer yourself. And I, I, that's the one thing that I do sort of maintain is that I do believe in the, as, as crazy and fucked up as the world is right now, I do sincerely believe that people, that we as a people, as a species have the ability to, um, you know, control our fate and, uh, and we have the ability to right all the wrongs that we've, Mm. that we experience. Wow. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if we can. I mean, I don't know how. If I if I think we can right all the wrongs, or if it's. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't say it was going to be easy. <laughs> right or short. Yeah. No. We got an infinite timeline. We got a long time to figure it out. Well, until the sun blows up, or right? Until we <laughs> until and or until we blow up the sun, right? Or until the singularity happens and we become one with our computer overlords. Yeah, and and for all we know, that might be the answer. Right. <laughs> Could be. Um, are there any rules or sense of sins or behavior code in this? This religion, I think, I think it just boils down to you know a lot of a lot of golden rule stuff, where it's like you know just try and be a decent person, you know, don't be a dick. See it from their point of view. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think, I think there 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 would probably be an emphasis on a concerted effort to think about really think about the consequences of your actions. Mm-hmm. That, that I think about. Con- 
my, the consequences of my actions constantly. Mm. Quite possibly to my detriment. But like, <laughs> but that I think that is, I think it's valuable. Yeah. You know, there's, if you, if you really don't see how other people are going to react to, you know, whatever you plan to do, you know, I think you, that requires a little bit of soul searching. Totally. Um, are there any holy texts in this, whether it's a pamphlet, a book, a magazine, uh, wa- DVRing the McLaughlin group? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. D- DVRing, uh, the gods live. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, um, I don't know. I think I'm, I just think about the books that, that influence my life the most. Mm-hmm. Greatest know. hits of the Bible. Sure. Yeah. Um, but things, I mean, it's amazing how much like, I, I, I saw you have Calvin and Hobbes here. I was like that, mm-hmm. that really, that really made a huge impact on my life. Reading me Calvin. too, man. Just yeah. like, just like a young philosopher kid mm-hmm. and his, you know, and you know, the vision of his counterpart. Like yeah. The, and the devil's advocate that yeah, was Hobbes. Yeah. And that was, that was, that's a very, that's very important text. Yeah, I honestly, I think that helped my vocabulary more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you have to ask like, Dad, Mom, Dad, what what are these words? And it's like, all right, okay, well, now I get it now. Yeah, because I needed to know the words to get the joke. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Man, I need to reread that shit. Yeah, I I I just brought a bunch of Calvin and Hobbes books down from my parents' house that were left up there, and uh, I'm glad to have them again. <laughs> right on. There, yeah, I think I don't. I'm trying to think of any other. Um, any of the books, but Calvin and Hobbes is a good start. So we'll just have love Calvin and Hobbes right on. Um, is there any kind of like regular meeting, whether it's a worship service or a get together or a conference, say, uh, of, of people who recognize the gods or or whatever? I think there should be like, I think everyone should go to a live taping once a year. (laughs) I think everyone should go to the McLaughlin group once, once a year. Right on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, that covers that covers a lot of aspects of uh, what that would look like. It's the life saving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I think because I think they still, I don't know, I don't know if it, how often they tape it now, but I mean, if it was like if it was taped every week, then mm-hmm. you just got to pick a week and go and <laughs> yeah, it's know, like a pilgrimage to Mecca. A little bit, yeah, a pilgrimage to you know <laughs> the studio lot. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any? Uh, what about what do we do with kids? Is there any kind of youth group or youth section or like are they sequestered off in any kind of way? It was very, it was very involved. Um, oh yeah, man. I'm even I, skipping some things that are, yeah, just don't really apply. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I haven't really conceptualized youth group, but I feel like it would just be, I, I think it would just be, I would, I think it would just be the concept of like, good public school. Yeah. I, I'm so glad that I went to public school my whole life. Yeah, me too. Be because, and I. I know plenty of people that went to private school and it's no knock against private school. If you have the money, kudos, Mm -hmm. but I don't feel like private school prepares you for the real world. Yeah. It's uh, I really don't compared to public school where it feels like you're the social, like that's what you're as a woman to be. I don't know, maybe a more average, like more accurate or average. I don't know how to describe it. Like of a social situation, like that's going to be, you're going to get, all walks of life in that public mm-hmm. school. Yeah, I mean, and sure, it, it may be a little sequestered because of what you know where you're growing up, right? In your neighborhood, and yeah, but I think you are like, especially going to a public college that you real you learn about where everyone came from, yeah. and you learn that not everyone lived like you, and you <laughs> didn't live like everybody else, right? And then you try and meet in the middle, 
Uh, I think private school, you're what you're paying for is a putting up a wall between you and reality. Yeah. Well, and I mean, forgive me for bringing it back once again to this concept, but empathy, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the con- like public school is a forced empathy where you're like, oh, yeah. here's the <laughs> here's the kid I would have never, my parents would never want me to associate with, but I have to sit next to him. Comedy comedy has been like that for me. Yeah. Greatly. You know, there, there's some, so many people in comedy that I would not have met. Totally. Ever. Yeah. Had I not pursued comedy and, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. Absolutely. Um, so in this McLaughlin or the gods live, <laughs> whatever we're calling it, the McGodlins, the yeah. McGod, <laughs> is there any kind of uh service or mission work? Um, volunteering. There may be some form of like, I could envision some sort of like Socratic seminar situation where <laughs> you, I'm loving this one, man. Like it's, uh, I mean, sure. There may be like, they may encourage you to help other people, but uh, that's sort of like, you gotta, you, you pick your, you, whatever you want to do. Yeah. But I, I, I could envision a Socratic seminar where you just learn how to sort of toss around ideas and search for an answer, but not really not worry about finding one. Mm, it's yeah. kind of like an improv where it's like, a laugh is probably around the corner, but if you, if it doesn't come immediately, that's okay. Right. Don't and just don't force it. Just fo- yeah, focus on having a good conversation. Yeah. I'm trying to employ that when I interview people for like the talk show I do mm-hmm. at, the, at the improv. Like, I sometimes the guest is very worried about like getting a laugh, right? Because they want to be funny, right? And it's like, just be you. Mm-hmm. You're already funny, right? It's gonna be okay. Just relax and let it come naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, is there any kind of outreach or evangelism or marketing? Absolutely not. <laughs> I almost... I, Hard I, stop. <laughs> I almost don't want anyone to know about it. <laughs> That's the one thing I, I admire the Jewish faith about specifically. I mean, I admire many things about the Jewish faith, mm-hmm. but like that's the that above all, the fact that they don't care if anyone else joins. Yeah. That's the fucking best. Confident. <laughs> yeah. We're, we, we were chosen. I'm sorry it wasn't you. <laughs> I love right that. On. So uh, the title, the the last part of this, I feels like we already have it. McGodlin. McGodlin. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, man. Yeah. Well, dude, thanks so much for coming over. This is great. Thank you so much for having me. I had, I had a really great time. Right on. Yeah. Well, that's the show. Once again, thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much to Stuart for coming out. Go to StuartThompsonComedy.com if you're in LA. Go to the late night show at the Hollywood Improv Lab, Thursday, October 27th. Is the next one. Subscribe if you like it. Tell your friends about it. Leave a rating or review if you're feeling good about it. Those mean a lot to me. Any kind of contact. Again, you can email me at joe at joequint.net anytime about anything. And uh, love you guys. Tell me what kinds of stuff you want me to talk about. Keep talking about the things that really resonate with you if there's anything, and I will. So thank you guys so much, and jamaste. What's a creative podcast network?